Welcome to MindLob, the hive mind antidote for conservative Christians that want to form their own conclusions. And now your host, Ken Carroll. On this week's episode of MindLob, I want to explore the question, why does evil exist if there is a good God? Now, don't be mistaken here. I want to explore the question being asked. I'm not looking to explore the answers, although I think they're good answers and I would love to dive into them. I'm more interested in the question itself, mainly because of the concepts that are being asked, the person that's asking the question, and the recipient of the person also uh, being asked the question. So I think this is fairly exciting when you really kind of, when you kind of think about it. So first of all, who's asking the question? If we're looking at it in this particular case, you know, although anyone can ask the question, I want us to kind of slip into the mindset of an atheist, a materialist, a person who believes in only the tangible. This would be an evolutionist traditionally. This is not a spiritual, the God, you know, anything with God or spirits or a realm beyond our realm is all voodoo unless it can be explained through materialism. Then we have the concept of evil. Now the concept of evil is a word that we use to describe something that is morally wrong or bad, immoral, wicked, evil deeds, something that causes injury, to characterize our company by misfortune. We know what evil is. All of us know what evil is. It doesn't matter what worldview you're in because if you've noticed, the person that's asking the question understands evil and the person receiving the question understands evil. Now, neither, neither party has to be given examples of what evil is. Fairly objectively understood, what is evil? So, then of course we have the person receiving the question. And the person receiving the question is typically someone who is in a defense mode. Okay, I have to give an answer for why evil exists because I'm being asked this question. Now, from the atheist perspective, the first question I have is, can he intelligently, only from his worldview, reasonably ask the question within the context of the worldview? Now, this is important because evil does not exist within the atheist worldview outside of it being a primitive concept created or somehow concocted or believed in by a group at some point. So I don't want to get into building some kind of straw man argument of where they think evil comes from or something like that. But what I do want to do is, is understand that no matter where you get evil, from an atheistic perspective, that concept of evil is relative. It's relative to suffering. It's relative to a concept. It's relative to trying to explain how everything works. But at the same time, it's not objective. If every human were to be wiped off the planet, then the concept of child rape would not be evil. The concept of murder or genocide would not be evil. It would not be good. It just is. Now, if we look at evolution from another standpoint, and that is, you know, survival of the fittest, the tenets of evolution, I think we have some problems trying to explain why we would classify universally something like the Holocaust as evil. Because then you have survival of the fittest, you have a reduced population, you have resources being used for the stronger group more, you have the weak guys losing, the strong guys winning. I mean, 
that's the core tenets of evolution for anyone that studies materialism. And for you to suggest that there was something evil going on there, you have to borrow from another worldview to even make that somewhat intelligible. Otherwise, you're, you're borrowing. And should you be able to borrow? So the atheist is having to borrow a theological concept to even ask the question to begin with. So then we have this evil thing. So then the next problem we have is it's inescapable. Because what the, what the atheist is doing, I think, intuitively by asking the question to begin with, is they're saying that they cannot escape whatever mechanism that has identified it in their mind as being evil. They can't step outside of that. And if they do step outside of it, then they're doing it in a way that isn't truly stepping outside. They're doing it in a way that's kind of like a, a thought experiment, not practical living. Now, if someone were to claim that they're able to do that, all you would have to do is listen to their language. I don't think it's good this person cheated on me. This was bad. I was overcharged. This was bad. I was robbed. This was good. You might be able to make it more of a um, uh, reasonable if you don't apply it to yourself. And then if they do try to apply it to themselves, all you'd have to do is spend some time with them. And the concepts of good and evil and right and wrong are going to permeate from their lips and condemn them into understanding that they could not even live a moment of their life without ascribing to these concepts regardless if they're relativistic or absolute in nature. Now what this would suggest is by extension that any interpretation of anything is going to be influenced by these these concepts. And so any data would be influenced, cold hard data, is going to have to go through the filter of something that's inescapable. Now, even if we look at some of the more prominent atheists in the world today, even take Richard Dawkins, he would, you know, I've heard him paraphrased and say things like, you know, it is evil that God would send his son to come to this earth to die for everybody's sin. He goes, how is that good that God would send his son to die for other people. He said he thought that was wrong. If you take Christopher Hitchens, he would say, you know, if you only believe in this, if you only believe in that, he's, he's talking about the, what the Christians would tell someone, that if they only believed in X would happen, he said that was evil, that's wrong. Now, they're inescapable. They, they can't get away from these concepts. If they can't get away from the concepts, then they're locked within the framework of their own mind. They can't escape these fundamental concepts and then therefore the data in which they record, write down the interpretation that they they create from this cold hard data has to go through that same filter. And if it goes through the same filter, then their conclusions would be just as tarnished as anyone else who thinks of a theistic framework, should it be wrong? You see, we only have our five senses. And we only have the interpretation of these five senses. And if the, the filters at which we're going to evaluate the data have to go through this idea of good and bad and right and wrong and all these other things, then therefore the data would be skewed too. So then you would kind of get into this whole question of can anything really be known by man because we have been 
it's proven through our daily language. It's proven through whatever worldview you ascribe to that you're not able to escape these concepts. And if you try to hypocritically escape the concepts, you're, you're kind of condemned based on your own words and how you live in the world. So now we're looking at the question from that perspective. So we got the concept of evil. We kind of understand that. We understand the mindset of the atheist asking a question using a word that is nonsensical within the framework of the worldview, but yet they're still using it and understanding it intuitively and applying it by borrowing from another worldview. You see, it's kind of a weird thing for even an atheist to even ask that question, unless there's something objective that's kind of driving it. Then we have the recipient. Okay, so the recipient's on, on the other end here. Now, the recipient understands the question. The recipient understands evil from their worldview. And the recipient could go, man, that's a really hard question. Now, the thing is, is that the recipient has a framework for the word evil. The recipient understands that it would be something that a good God would allow. And the recipient would understand that it is within the framework of their belief system that even if all the human beings on the entire planet were wiped off, that things that are evil would remain evil. Humans don't make it. It's just as real as material. The concepts of good and bad and love and altruism and whatever the case may be. So I think that if we if we kind of isolate that, then what we would say is that the the questions being asked to the theist shouldn't be asked by an atheist. It's really a question to be asked because it's a it's a metaphysical concept that's being asked by someone who doesn't believe in metaphysical concepts. Now, with that being said, I've seen some attempts to kind of give an explanation from a materialist perspective from uh, the standpoint of evil and good. And one of those concepts, which I found interesting, I listened to a, a fairly long debate on it, and it was the idea that harm or pain equals evil. So if, for example, if I were to inflict harm on you, the harm that I inflict on you would be construed as evil. And so then it would have degrees to it too. So the more harm that I inflict and the more that it impacts and the more ripples that the harm that I've inflicted would be a greater evil deed. And so that would be possibly one explanation for how an atheist would use the context of evil and then bridge the gap for a materialistic framework for the word evil to a theistic objective word for the word evil. Even though that their their points of reference are different, they, they can bridge the gap with the actual word evil between the two of them. So I th- started thinking about that. And the debate, which I found, I, I struggled with it a lot, to be honest with you, because the questions that I would have is, we talk about physical harm, But what about emotional harm? What about psychological harm? Which one's greater between the two? Is physical harm greater than psychological harm or emotional harm? Because those those emotional harm is really not a physical concept. It's not really a concept that exists anywhere other than the mind because there is no objective framework for emotional harm. But oftentimes emotional harm, if you listen to people that have been abused, 
the emotional and psychological harm is worse than the physical. They would say, I'd rather be physically abused than emotionally abused. And if that's the case, then that kind of puts up a weird wrench in the whole mechanism of trying to understand this, this idea. Then I started to think of a scenario, and this was just one scenario I bounced around in my head. And so I imagined uh, a winter scene in an ice lake. And I imagine a child going out on the ice lake and then breaking through the ice and then they're drowning in the water. Now, across the lake on the other side, let's just say there is a male and his child. So we got a man and his kid and the kid's screaming and begging for help. Now, the kid's freaking out, right? So he wants help and so the adult sees and then the adult goes over and tries to help the child out. The drowning child, while his kid stays over you know, safely on uh, land. So the question is, is who's committing evil in this scenario? Because if the child is asking for help, then he's putting the man in harm to come and help the child. If the man dies in that scenario and the child goes on, the child has emotional harm and the child can make decisions that are rippled throughout his entire life because he didn't have the influence of a caring parent. Maybe he has the trauma of seeing his parent die in the water. Maybe both die. And so would the child that's drowning be performing less harm by not asking for help or not screaming for help? Should the child just allow himself to drown so that he doesn't inflict harm on someone else? But if you look at it from the standpoint of the person who's on the side and he hears the child screaming, if he does not go help the child, then he's causing harm to the child because he might be able to alleviate the harm from the child who's drowning. And so if he goes and does that, um, then he's helping, he's doing a good deed, and if he stays away, then he's not doing a good deed. So now we've got levels of evil from both perspectives. And then you could even incorporate the child into it, the child with the parent on the side by making decisions um, that would either be encouraging his his dad to go help or not to help or whatever. So now you've got this very complicated recipe of trying to determine good and evil throughout the whole thing. However, if we look at it from a practical perspective that everyone understands, we all understand that watching a child drown in an ice lake without trying to do anything is atrocious we should try to help the child drowning through the lake. And so this concept of, of evil or harm being associated with evil, I think has a lot of problems with it. And I don't think that it's fully understood, or I don't think you can fully intellectually describe it without leaving out a lot of components and a lot of pieces especially given that the the emotional and psychological ramifications of something physical are worse than the physical. So now we've got this problem of trying to to, to bridge the gap to where an atheist can ask the, first understand the concept of evil, but then actually ask the concept of evil, and then it be interpreted by a theist. At the end of the day, here's what happens. The atheist understands the concept of evil. Because he understands the concept of evil for whatever reason and asks the question, and then the person who receives the question understands it, they completely skip the idea that 
we're using a concept, we're using a word that's very difficult to bridge between the two worldviews unless the atheistic worldview borrows from a theistic worldview to frame the question that is intuitively understood. And if the atheist is intuitively understanding the concept, but it's not an objective truth and it's all relative, then the atheist is saying that his thought processes are tainted. Regardless of what your perception of God is, it's tainted to a point to where it's influencing your interpretation of the world around you. Which, if you're looking at data, and then you're trying to interpret the data, then you're interpreting the data based upon information that is uh, relative. It's, it's an abstract concept that is outside of materialism, but it still impacts the way in which things are interpreted. This would bring into questions about, can we really understand anything? Can we really, can we really look at, at information and then conclude that that, that is objectively true if we put any kind of interpretive mechanism into it. Because not only would concepts of good and evil be potentially uh, a, you know, something that's tainted, but other concepts could, could incorporate uh, a, a misunderstanding of the data as well. Now, of course, if there is a God, and there is an objective good, and there is an objective evil, and we can all say intuitively we understand why, you know, that there are these concepts and that everybody gets these concepts, then the question can be asked because now we're asking an intelligible question that exists within the worldview. However, if it doesn't exist in the worldview, you really can't ask the question. So this is kind of where I'm at on, on the question before trying to give an answer to the question is, is how do we frame it? This also is, is why I think that debate could be an exercise in futility. Because you have two opposing worldviews, and within the construct of those worldviews, there are there are kind of things that exist within the worldview and things that don't exist within the worldview. But when the discussions take place, there is an intuitive understanding of objective concepts that both parties understand, but they don't exist within the worldview themselves. And so, if we're going to have debates, and they're going to be meaningful, then I think one of the first rules of a debate should be, from what worldview will, use, will we use these concepts? And so, if you're going to use words that are within the construct of a, an atheistic framework, then certain words should not be used, or you're going to have to stop and take time to really kind of define where you're getting the concepts to begin with and what are the natural meanings of those words when you're using them rather than trying to imply an understood version of those words without giving them groundings to begin with. So if that could be done, then maybe meaningful debate could happen assuming that we can get away from the the idea of trying to win something like a football game versus really trying to understand worldviews and understanding more about the human condition. I think that is a whole other problem when you're trying to uh, do some kind of debate uh, with, with another party of an opposing worldview.
there's egos attached, there's different things attached that, that really make the meaning and the substance kind of problematic. And then plus, if you, if you have the audience and they're all ascribing to different worldviews, but they're taking the objective understanding of concepts and then applying it intuitively to their worldviews, even if their worldview does not allow for those concepts to exist, then you just have really a lot of noise. So I think it's very, very important to stop and really analyze the questions that are being asked, understand the persons involved in both asking the questions and receiving the questions, and then ask legitimate additional questions on if those concepts and questions should really even be asked without being fully understood within the worldview of the person it's being asked. So so if someone were to ask me about this and they're not theistic, I would challenge them first, not in a bad way, just where I can understand it, to give me their definition of evil and where that comes from. And then once we understand their concept of evil, then we can ask the question, well, how would uh, this exist within a framework where there are objective truths and objective goods and objective bad and things of that nature? So I hope this kind of uh, at least gives food for thought this week. You know, that's what our goal here. It's not to give you truths. It's not to give you dogmatic answers. You know, as we say on just about every episode, if you want to be told what to think, then you can get that virtually anywhere from arrogant professors in colleges who think they have all the answers to the mainstream media, to big tech, uh, to whatever, what have you. They, they all want to tell you what to think, but not how to think. And I think that's uh, more important for, you, for the how. Uh, you know, I'd rather have flawed thinking on the how. I'd rather have the brave fortitude of someone to ask a question or to think through something, even if it's something that's flawed, which I'm sure my thinking's flawed in a lot of way too. But I would rather have that kind of thinking and it be real fault than just to parrot off something that someone else has told them that they think is catchy or it's a, you know, one-line zinger that's going to throw somebody off guard and, and mess up their mind or, their, you know, throw them off their worldview or whatever. I'm really not interested in, in those kind of things. Um, so with that being said, I got some good news. Our podcast is now reached uh, nine countries uh, in terms of like readers, I mean actual listeners, and we got nine countries. And uh, so we're spreading out there fairly well and fairly quickly. So I'm excited about that. Uh, if you don't mind, I would love for you to share this this podcast with other people. I would love for other people to be able to listen to it if you feel it would be valuable. Uh, again, the idea behind this is not to give dogmatic truths. The idea is to open up discussions, absolutely shoot a million holes in everything that I'm talking about, absolutely blow it up, you know, whatever you need to do, just so long as it is just a catalyst for thought. If it's a catalyst for thought, then MindLob is doing its job. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for uh, 
pulling down our podcast and thank you for uh, sharing this with other people should you be inclined to do so. Thank you for listening to MindLob. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast or visit MindLob.com to learn more.